I just have one thing to say. Go Tigers. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. That was a good week, huh? Good week. Did y'all enjoy that game Monday night? Yeah. All right. Well, actually, I got a whole lot to say today, but that's how I want to start today off. So uh, it's good to see y'all. How's everybody doing today? Hey, I, t- I tell you what, I look forward to Sunday mornings. I love coming and hanging out with y'all and studying the Word together. It's great to worship together. If you're here today as a guest, man, it's great to have you with us. My name's Jay. My wife, Stacy, and I are the pastors here at Journey, and uh, it's just a blessing to have you with us. And then also, church family, this morning, we got a lot of people joining us online right now. Every weekend uh, we, at the 1030 service, we have a live streaming of this service and got a lot of people that join us. So can we give them a great big hand clap this morning to welcome them? Come on, give it up. Now, we are entering, today actually means that we are entering the last week of our fast as a church. We've been on 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it ends next weekend. And I know that a lot of different people have shared with me things that the Lord has put on their heart, uh, the times that they've been able to spend with Him in prayer and in studying of the Word. And I want to encourage you, if you were not able to jump in over the last couple weeks, this last week, you can jump in and join us in fasting, whether it's maybe uh, skipping one meal a day and taking that time just to pray or, or getting rid of sweets in your diet and, and devoting more time to spending in, in Bible study or devotion time. And then here's what I want to tell you. Next Saturday, everybody say next Saturday. We are going to have a blast because we're actually wrapping this fast up with a corporate time of prayer. And so next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, I want all of you to come join me right here. We're going to have worship And uh, then we're just going to close it out with a great time of prayer. And I want to encourage you, if you can, bring the family and let's wrap up this time of prayer and fasting, just joining together in prayer. So look at your neighbor and say, I'll see you here next weekend. Now, our series, I I love the video that they made for this series because we're talking about living our best life. And uh, really what this series is all about is if we're going to live the life that God has for us, then we have to embrace the change that he has for us. Real Christianity means that we embrace real change for our lives. A lot of people say, well, I came to Christ and nothing changed in my life. Well, here's the reality. You probably didn't come to Christ then. The reality of Christianity is when you surrender to your life to Jesus Christ, you embrace the change that he begins on the inside of you. And so that's what this series is all about. Now, I've shared with you over the last couple of weeks that a lot of people make the mistake. They have the idea of when I come to Christianity, I surrender my heart to Jesus. He's just going to take my messed up life and he's going to improve it a little bit. And that's not true at all. What Jesus does is he takes our life and makes it brand new. Now, when you think of the idea of brand new, this past week I was thinking about that. And I thought about like when you buy a car. What is your favorite part of getting a car? It's the what? It's the smell. Everybody loves that new car smell. It's no, nobody else ever used this car. And you get in it, it smells so good. And that usually lasts a little while until little junior in the back seat, you know, spills a, you know, a milk jug or something like that from McDonald's, drops some French fries underneath the seat, and they get all moldy and all that kind of stuff. That new smell starts to dissipate. But here's what I want you to understand. When you come to Christ, the newness that he begins in you on the day of salvation continues in your life until the day that you step in to his presence. In fact, I love what Paul, how he records this, and this has been our verse throughout this series in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Everybody say brand new. Now, 
last week, since we're talking about change, last week we started, uh, we looked at it a little bit different. And the reason why is because we talked about the way that we approach God. A lot of times the way that we approach God, we mess that up. We come to him out of obligation. We come to him out of legalism. And as a result, a lot of times we put barriers in between ourselves and God. And what we discovered last week is that God's heart's desire is that we would change the way that we approach him. And we actually would approach him as our father and as our friend. And so that's what we looked at last week. And we're going to expound on that a little bit this week because we're talking about real change. Everybody say change. We're talking about change, and one of the things that I want to talk to you about this week is how 2020, starting this year, could be a tremendous year of change within our lives and some things that God can do in us. But here's the thought. How many of you have ever had something in your life that, that you started or you're about to start, and then you were kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe I, I'm, I'm not going to do that, and you quit? You ever quit something before? I mean, it's like usually at the beginning of the year we start resolutions, and uh, a lot of times those kind of go by the wayside. We're like, you know what? I was going to diet, but I can't because food in South Louisiana is just too amazing, okay? Or, or I was going to exercise, but I can't just because, well, I really don't feel like it, okay? I, I had a, a situation some years ago uh, before I started exercising, all that kind of stuff, really getting serious about it. I, I, was, I, I realized that I need to make some changes, and there was an exercise program out at the time called Insanity. Y'all remember that? And so I got my hands on that program, and I said, this is going to be awesome, doing sanity, it's going to be amazing. And I, so I said, you know what, before I actually do it, I want to like, watch it and see like, what it's like. So I turned it on, I sat on the couch, got comfortable, and I'm not going to lie to you, I was eating a Pop-Tart too, okay? I, I, re- I was. So I'm, I'm watching Insanity, I'm eating this Pop-Tart, it was awesome. And the guy started, and he's like, okay, you know, let's get started. He goes into this thing. I'm like, man, this is serious. I don't know if I can do that. And then he wrapped up like the first time. He says, all right, that was the first part of our warm-up. And I'm like, what, are you crazy? No, it's insanity. And then he went into a second part. It was another warm-up. And I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to finish my Pop-Tart, hit, hit stop on the DVD player, and that was it. That day I threw in the towel and I never did insanity, all right? So maybe in your life you've had similar occurrences with different things and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this, it's going to be great, and maybe you back out of it. Or maybe there's something you start and you kind of get well into it and you get tired, you get worn out, and so you throw in the towel on it. Well, today what I want us to do, I want us to go into a story in the Old Testament, And we're going to look at the story of this figure, and here's the cool part. The story is relevant to all of us, because all of us have had things that we've quit before. How many of you in here have quit something at least one time in your life? Raise your hand. All right, we've all quit. We've all had those moments. And so this story is relevant to us, because it encourages all of us in the different things that we walk through in life. Now, if you have your Bible, take it out, go to the book of Genesis, all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 37. And I'm just going to encourage you again, bring your Bibles to church. It's very important. Uh, It's great to use an electronic version. If you've got the the U version in your phone, you can download the the notes for the day. There's announcements, all that kind of stuff. But I just kind of like paper. And the reason why is because you can write things down. You can underline things and all that kind of stuff and discuss it later on whenever you get home. And so today, Genesis 37, let me kind of tell you a little bit about this story before we jump in. There was a guy 
who, his name was Jacob, and Jacob had a whole bunch of sons. And this big old family, there was some tension, there was some friction, there were some problems, and there was one of the sons that actually he was born whenever Jacob was much older in life, and Scripture records that he was the favorite son. You ever had that happen before in your family? Like your kid's like, I'm the favorite, you know, or I'm the baby of the family, so I'm the favorite. I get that because I'm the baby of the family, and my sister tells me all the time, you're the favorite. I'm like, I know, uh, but... <laughs> We have that in our family as well, because the boys, they always argue like, I, you know, everybody knows that Bryce's dad's favorite, and everybody knows that Reese's mom's favorite, and everybody knows that nobody likes Tyler. So, <laughs> Brittany said, he's my favorite. I'm like, whatever. I love them all equally. But we see this in this story that there's animosity there because the dad literally, everybody knew that Joseph was his favorite. And so there's some tension there with the brothers. And if you look at, with me, uh, in Genesis chapter 37, we're going to look at verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, and his father's, uh, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, let me ramp this up for you a little bit. Not only is there some animosity, but he, I hate to say it, but Joseph's kind of a snitch. You know, it's like they're off, they're watching the flocks. They're kind of probably goofing off a little bit, playing some volleyball, something like that, swimming in the creek. So Joseph goes back to his dad and he says, Dad, these guys are goofing off. You need to quit paying them so much. And so animosity. And we go to verse 3. Now, Israel, that, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That's trouble. He's got trouble right there because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Now, here's what happened. We know this is the, the coat of many colors. Uh, Jacob makes this coat, this robe for him, gives it to him as a sign of favor. And I'm going to tell you something just straight up right there. There's already animosity in this family. This probably ramped it up to a whole nother level because you can just see Joseph strutting around in his coat like, hey, what's up, guys? And they look at it like, yeah, we're going to take that coat from you. But here's what happens. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, you can imagine being at Thanksgiving dinner with this crew, okay? You could imagine sitting down to lunch with this crew, hanging out. There's probably tension that's brewing there. And maybe underneath their breath, they're saying little things, you know, to one another. There's, there's the coat boy, you know, stuff like that. Making fun of him, giving him a hard time. And uh, the story goes on because eventually, uh, Joseph, I'm, I'm not, this is not a part of my notes, but Joseph actually makes a proclamation. He has a dream and he tells them that in this dream that one day his brothers would bow down to him. Probably a bad move on his part, but <laughs> it is what it is. And so eventually, uh, Jacob, he has Joseph. He's like, well, you know what? I know you'll tell me the truth uh, because before you snitched on your brothers, but I want you to go check on them and go work with them a little bit. So we drop down to verse 23. It says, so when Joseph, he, he went out to where they were working. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. They took him and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And, and they're thinking, okay, we've got our opportunity now. Here's the one 
that we've had all this animosity about. He told us we'd bow down to him. We're going to show him. Dad gave him this robe because he's his favorite. We're going to show him. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, this is one of the older brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Good question. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. In other words, it's it's okay to sell him into slavery, but let's not kill him, guys, okay? After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and, brother, uh, bl- flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Now, let's stop there, because here's what's taking place. Instead of killing him, thank goodness the Lord had his hand on Joseph's life, but they decided in that moment, let's just sell him into slavery. Now, here's a young man who's been raised up. He's the father's favorite. He's been given an ornate robe. His, his dad trusts him. And in an instant, he's thrown into a pit. His life changes dramatically. Because in an instant, he is taken out of the pit and sold into slavery. And from that moment on, probably in his mind, his life would never be the same. Now, the story, it has a different turn at the ending. But man, the next several years for Joseph are actually very, very rough. You see, when he gets to Egypt, they actually sell him to an individual named Potiphar. Now, here's the crazy part. Potiphar, uh, as he's there in Egypt, Joseph, he, he steps into that household to be in to serve, and he proves himself faithful, and eventually Potiphar makes him like the head of the household. All the affairs of the household, he's in charge of those things. That's, look at your neighbor and say, that's pretty cool. Now, here's the, here's the bad part about it, though. He's the head of the household, but Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. Remember, he's a young guy. He's probably, you know, bowed up and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he's walking around the house, and Potiphar's wife is like, hey, what's up, boy? You know? And, you know, he actually, this is in reality what takes place. She begins to sexually harass him in his place of employment. Because every day she's giving, hey, what's up? Harassing him, trying to get him to lay with her to have relations. To, to, for her to step into an adulterous relationship. And Joseph, because he loves the Lord, he, he's surrendered to the Lord. He keeps rebuffing her efforts, telling her no. And one day, uh, she actually uh, comes after him, and uh, he, he rebuffs her, and she's insulted. And so what she does is she cries out, and she says, this Hebrew that you brought into the house has assaulted me, Potiphar is furious, and this is what takes place. Verse 20 of chapter 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Let me tell you something. No matter how bad your circumstances are, when your life is sold out to Christ, you are never alone in any situation you face. The presence of God is there. The Holy Spirit empowers you. And you can make it on through. The Lord was with him. Look at this. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Wherever you are, no matter how bad your circumstances are, the favor of the Lord still rests upon your life. So here's Joseph. Bad situation. He's in prison. Uh, He's falsely accused of this. And uh, he begins to get a reputation. And you're like, well, what kind of reputation? Well, the prisoners around him begin to discover that he has the ability to interpret dreams. 
And so eventually, Pharaoh has this dream that none of his wise men can actually interpret. So when he hears about Joseph, he actually calls for Joseph, and Joseph is able to interpret this dream. And so we look, you go over one chapter. I know we're kind of rolling through a lot of chapters here. In chapter 41, you look at verse 41. This is what it says. Uh, well, after he was able to interpret these dreams that Pharaoh had, here, here were the dreams. They basically indicated that there were going to be years of famine that were going to come. And because of Joseph being able to interpret that, they were able to prepare for the famine. Because he was able to interpret the dream, it says this, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Wow, that's pretty wild. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Let me tell you something. You go from a pit to slavery to prison to being in second in command of all of Egypt. Look at your neighbor and say, wow. That, that's crazy. But that is the favor of the Lord resting upon our lives. That is, a, that is a life in the hand of God and following the will of God for his life. So you say, well, what does this have to do with me here in 2020 in the times that I want to quit? Well, maybe you in the past have felt like you've made decisions where you've wound up in a pit. Maybe in the past you've done different things where you felt like you're trapped by those bad decisions. And I want to tell you, there's a couple of things that I believe that 2020 can represent for our lives that we see here in Joseph's story as we move forward. If we will, hear me on this, if we will allow God and give him full access to bring his change into our lives. Here's the second part of that. And if we will begin to approach him as our father and as our friend. Okay, that means you're growing in your relationship with him. So here's what I want to take you today. We talk about that in the times that you want to quit, times you want to throw in the towel. Uh, I believe with all my heart that this year actually is going to be begin the beginnings of a year in your life of year of restoration. Everybody say restoration. Because when God's change begins to occur in your heart, it actually affects your mind. It affects your attitude. It affects your actions. It affects your responses. And in the middle of that, God can begin to bring restoration to your life, even in spite sometimes of the bad decisions that, that maybe we have made. Now, get this. I get it. Sometimes when bad things happen, we get angry about it. Sometimes whenever bad things happen, we kind of complain about it. Am I right? Maybe even we complain about God, but here's what I want to point out to you. In this story we just looked at, throughout the entire story, I'm sure that Joseph had his down days, but what we see throughout the story is that in spite of what he faced, he still maintained a good attitude. He still maintained a, a, a heart towards God, and he stayed faithful. Everybody say faithful. He stayed so faithful to God. And that has got to be the, who we are as a believer, as a Christian, that God, no matter what comes, I'm going to stay faithful to you. I'm going to stay committed to you. No matter what the enemy brings against me, I'm going to stay faithful to you. I'm going to trust you because I know that you are a God of restoration. Now, I get it. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we feel like life is beating on us, maybe beating us down. And we're like, man, I, I don't know if I can go anymore. Check this out. Isaiah chapter 40 
this verse of prophecy. It says in verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What a passage of scripture that is right there. Because here's the thing. In the moment that you begin to feel tired, in the moment that you begin to feel weary, if you can trust in God, his strength will rise up inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Now, what I like about that verse is this. It talks about us literally soaring like eagles, okay? And I I had an opportunity. Have you ever seen an eagle before? I had an opportunity yesterday. We, We don't see this very often, but I actually went to my camp yesterday. We had to go check some things out. And we're out on the lake, me and my friend Casey, and uh, where our duck blind is, behind it, there's a giant eagle's nest. And uh, we, we see them from time to time. I kind of suspected that they, had, you know, that they had some babies and this, that, and the other. But yesterday, we were just kind of putt-putting along in the boat. And all of a sudden, we were like, man, check that out. And we look up, and right there out on a branch, they're, they're, one of the eagles is just, he just, he just like, hey. He's just standing there. In fact, we, t- we got a picture. You show the picture? Check it out. He was right there. And I got to tell you what, he, here's the, he wasn't worried about us. We kind of started getting up close to him. He's just looking at us and he's like, how you doing? He wasn't concerned. He wasn't scared. He wasn't stressed out. He was, he was, just, he was just doing that eagle thing. He was, and after a few minutes, he, he, he's standing there on that branch. You know what he did? He, he, he took off. And he, and he just did this. He just, hey. He he soared around a little bit right there. Just did that eagle thing. He's just soaring, having a good old time. Y'all like that? (laughs) And that's what we're called to do as believers. We're not called to be stressed out, worried, and anxious. We're called to trust in the Lord. Soar like an eagle. Now, we went over to another lake. We were just kind of running around, checking things out. We went over to another lake, and we came up on a big old raft, big, a whole bunch, probably, probably about a thousand of them, uh, pool dew, uh, coots, whatever you want to call them. And, and it's kind of a bird everybody just kind of ignores because they're kind of considered like a, a, a trash duck or whatever. Nobody messes with them. And uh, they're... I know there's kids in here. I'm going to be very cautious with my language. They're just dumb, y'all. They're dumb. And they're, they're the kind of bird, like, they, they come by, you, you know, you're in your duck blind, they come by and you call at them and you shoot at them, just, and then, then they leave and you call back and they're like, oh, you want some more? <laughs> and they just come back. <laughs> hey! We, we can't, there must have been a thousand of them, just a big old group of them. And I told, we were like, hey, let's, let's you know, run, up, run the boat up in there and kick them up. And uh, they see us, they're, they're, they see us coming and they're like, <laughs> and they're real anxious and they're like, hey, what are, what are you doing? What are you? <laughs> and we get like the boat, like right up. I mean, we probably were within 20, 30 feet before they started taking off. And I'm full throttle, run up in the boat up in there. And all of a sudden they start getting up and, and they're not, you know, it's not, not like, you're not like an eagle. Ooh. 
Not like that. Here's how they get up. They're like, <laughs> and, and they're, they're kicking their feet. And they're about this high off the water. And they're, they're coming. They're coming. And they fly about 20 feet and then land. Oh, they're still coming. <laughs> we, we're just doing circles, having a good old time. Dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life. But I'm tired now. I got to catch my breath. Woo. Get a little work out here at church. Three services. But I had a thought. How do we respond to the different things in life? Because this verse just said that we're supposed to trust in the Lord. Just trust in him and just soar on wings like eagles. God, I know that this is a, a difficult place. I know there's some obstacles, but I trust you, you got this. Or, God, I know, oh, they're still there. How are you facing the issues of life? Because I fully believe that 2020 can be the beginning of a year of restoration within your life. The things that the enemy has stolen from you, your time, your resources, your, your, your peace, your joy that God can begin to restore those within your life. If you will learn to, here it is, trust in the Lord and allow his change. Everybody say change. To take place within your heart and within your life. Here's the next thing. Is I believe 2020 can be a great year of reconciliation. Now, in this story, if you continue on, you see that this famine strikes the land, that people are dying, people are going to Egypt because they have prepared for it, they've saved up grain, and Joseph's in charge of all that. And his family eventually makes their way back to Egypt or makes their way to Egypt. And guess who they're standing in front of? Joseph. Now, they don't know that because he doesn't look like the little kid that they sent away all those years prior. And he's there in front of them. And he's got an opportunity. And how is he going to handle this opportunity? And this is what takes place. Joseph, he, he provides, takes care of their, ne their needs. And it says in verse, chapter 45, verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And he's reminding them, Hey guys, you sold me into slavery. But now, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. In other words, guys, don't be upset. I'm not going to hold anything against you because it was all the will and the purpose and the plan of God for my life. Now, here's a question. We're talking about this being a year of reconciliation. How would you have handled that situation? How would I, if I was there, I might would have been like, hey, guards, <laughs> take them away. Off with their heads. If you feel it necessary to torture them a little bit before you do, hey, whatever. How, how would we handle a situation like that? And this all comes down to change. Everybody say change. We need to constantly be allowing God to change us. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe that fully we see restoration. We see reconciliation within this family. The family's brought back together as a result of the hand of the Lord. The entire family is preserved in the midst of a famine. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't know what relationships look like within your life, between you and your spouse, 
with your kids, with your coworkers, with your extended family. I understand things happen, but I fully believe that this can be a year of reconciliation, that God can bring healing within families. Now, here's where it starts. Remember, we're talking about change, and one of the changes is this. We have to learn to humble ourselves. Boy, that, whoa, we struggle with that. And within our marriages, we have got to learn to humble ourselves. Think of this. How many times have you gotten in, in an argument with your spouse over something so dumb? I mean, you, you're arguing over something that's so silly. You know, when I've done, uh, you know, series on marriages, we told you that some of the things Stacey and I argued about the first couple years of our marriage, toilet paper, you know, over the front or over the back. Everybody knows it goes over the front, okay. Just, uh, toothpaste, paper towels, because... You know, don't use so many paper towels, things of that nature. I mean, we argued over some of the dumbest things. And so many times the enemy will take those dumb things and use it to drive a division, a wedge. Within our, our marriages, within our families, within our friendships, within our co-workers' relationships, we let things come in and we, we hold on to it. Yeah, well, you need to humble yourself. You need to give that over to the Lord. You need to move forward. I don't want to. And we let pride get a hold of us, and we're not willing to just let it go and walk in the grace of, of God. Amen? But if we can humble ourselves, and remember we're talking about change, then I fully believe that this could be the beginning. This year could be a great year of reconciliation within relationships. Here it is again, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. New life has begun. When you are new in Christ, it means that God dealt with the past within your life. It's forgiven. It's washed away. It's under the blood of Jesus. So how about this? How about we let go of the past with other people? If God can forgive us, surely we can forgive other people. We can put it under the blood of Jesus. We can leave the past in the past and move forward and let reconciliation take place. Amen? And that's all I'm saying about that. Okay. Restoration, reconciliation. Here's one of my favorites. This can be a year of rehabilitation. Now, what does that even mean? Well, the word actually means to heal. And I believe that this could be a year that God can bring healing into your life. Now, here's what that looks like. Because whenever I was about 16 years old, I was playing soccer one day in a gym and uh, had on some tennis shoes, not tennis shoes, running shoes. They kind of had, you know, had the higher heels on them for running, arch support, all that kind of stuff. And whenever I turned, I rolled my ankle and like severely sprained that ankle. My mom comes, picks me up, takes me to the doctor. Doctor says, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to send you through however many weeks or a month or whatever of going to rehabilitation, physical therapy. We need to rehab that thing. It's got to be healed. Got to be able to get strong. And at 16, 17 years of age, you know what I said? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. And so I wore that, that uh, walking cast on it for a couple weeks. And as soon as it started feeling better, you know what I did? Whatever teenager, like, woohoo, you know, let's go. And guess what? For the rest of my life to this point, that ankle, it would give me trouble from time to time. And here's what happened. It was probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago. I was out at the camp, jumped off the front of the boat. And whenever I did, I landed, and it was my right ankle. It said, Snapola just like a piece of uh, spaghetti. I heard it too. It was awesome. Well, now, not then. Okay. The boys are with me. It was just me and Tyler and uh, uh, 
and Bryce, I think Reese stayed behind with mom, but they were young. Tyler was like 14 years old. I'm like, son, I can't drive. I'm in excruciating pain. You got to drive me to the doctor's office so they can check this. Of course, Tyler was like, yeah. We get in the vehicle. We start driving back, and my ankle, y'all, is throbbing. You know why it's throbbing? Because I didn't deal with it all those years prior. And so on the way there, they're formulating this little plan. They said, Dad, now look, when we get to the doctor's office, we're only like a couple miles away. Is it okay with you? Because we haven't eaten all day long. <laughs> if we drop you off and go to McDonald's. I said, guys, I'm in excruciating pain here. I said, you know, I understand you haven't eaten all day long. But I'll tell you what, I'm just going to leave that decision to you to, I'm going to trust you that you're growing up, you're maturing, you're going to make the right decision here, guys, and I'm going to let you make the decision. They went to McDonald's. <laughs> so this time, though, doctor sent me to an orthopedist. Orthopedist looked at it and said, here's what we need. To, it is broken, but we need to send you through some therapy and get this thing worked on. If it's going to heal so it can heal properly, and my friend Eric Strahan started working on me. He had lasers and tape and cold compress, pulling it, stretching it, doing all this kind of stuff. Went on for weeks and weeks and weeks to where now that ankle is healed. It's healed properly. And since that time, hasn't given me any more trouble. In fact, jumped off my boat yesterday and felt great, okay? But here's the thought. How many times do we walk through life with things like that? We get hurt. Somebody does something to us, we get wounded, we get rejected, and we're like, you know what, instead of dealing with it, I'll be okay. Then you make your way through life, and it flares up from time to time to time. I believe that this could be a tremendous year of rehabilitation. God touching our heart and healing us from the different things that we have walked through. And you say, how do you know that, Pastor Jay? Here's Joseph. He went through a painful time. He was rejected by his family. They sold him into slavery, y'all. He's falsely accused of assaulting a woman, and he goes to prison. He's a convict, and he has all this stuff in his life. And yet the day comes when his brothers stand in front of him begging for mercy because they need grain, and instead of saying off with their heads, he was able to say, guys, don't worry about it. It was in the plan of, the Lord, in the plan of God. And I'm going to tell you something. I know that God healed him. And here's how I know. You go to Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. And you look at, in those days and age, in that day and age, names meant something. And this is his firstborn. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble. In other words, I've given it over to the Lord and he has taken care of it. I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you've had some painful things happen to you. And if you will allow God to bring his change into your heart, if you will embrace him as your father, as your friend, trust me in this, he can heal your heart. Pastor Jay, how do you know? Psalms 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. He doesn't intend for us to walk through life constantly riddled with trauma and hurts and wounds and all these things. Jesus went to the cross so we could be healed emotionally, spiritually, physically, in all aspects. And so here's what I want you to do. We talk about restoration, reconciliation, rehabilitation. What do you need in your life? We're talking about change. What do you need within your life? Do this for me. Close your eyes. 
and ignore the person sitting next to you on both sides. Ignore the people behind you and in front of you, and let's have a personal God moment just right now, you and the Lord. What do you need to be healed of? Is there a wound there from your past that just keeps coming up? If somebody hurts you and you need to forgive them, do you need to put that under the blood of Jesus and move forward? You need to deal with it, my friend. Is there something that needs to be restored within your life? Man, this was, it was, this was taken from me. And I'm just going to trust the Lord. That even if he doesn't restore that back to me, that God's got much greater things in mind. What about reconciliation? Is there a relationship that needs to be healed? Your marriage with one of your children, with a co-worker, with a friend. Remember this word, humility. Humble yourself. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Now, before we deal with that, I want, I want to deal with this. There's some of you in this room right now, you don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Well, I prayed a prayer nothing changed in my life. Then you don't know Jesus. Because when we, what we see in Scripture is a born-again experience. You are made new through Christ Jesus. And so today, maybe you need to come to the realization that you're a sinner. Just like me, just like everybody else. And the only way that the sin in your life can be dealt with, it was because of what Jesus did for all of us at the cross. He's the only one who can redeem you. He's the only one who can forgive you and make you right with God. And today, are you ready to take that step to surrender everything that you are to Jesus? And if you say yes to that, I want to pray with you. There's others of you in this room that maybe you recognize a need in your life, even though you might be walking with the Lord or have walked with Him in the past, that your relationship with Him is not where it needs to be. And you recognize the need to get your heart right with Him all over again, to make a recommitment of your faith. Well, here's what I want to do today. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And today, if that resonates in your spirit, if you say, Pastor, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, or I need to recommit my heart to Christ, I want to be a part of that prayer today. Then I'm going to ask you, wherever you are in this room right now, every eye closed, nobody peeking, but if you want to say, count me in on that, I'm ready to surrender to Christ, then do me a favor. Raise your hand. Let me see it. Is there anybody here like that today? I see a hand here, back over here, right here, right here, right here. Is there anyone else? I see you back here. I see hands over here. I see you way back there, right here, right here. And here's what I want you to do. This is your moment. And in this moment, I'm going to ask you to connect with God in an even greater way. You talk to him right where you are. Remember, ignore the people around you. And right where you are, I want you to talk to the Lord. I'm, this isn't my prayer. I'm going to give you the words. This is your prayer. And I want you to pray something like this. I want you to say something like, Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you love me. That you would go to the cross in my place. You paid the price for my sin, my guilt, my shame. And today by faith. I receive what you did. And Jesus, I admit to you, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And today, I repent for the life 
that I've lived. I repent for the sins that I have committed. And Jesus, I turn to you and ask for your forgiveness. Today, I I surrender to you. Give you everything that I am. And I ask you to come live inside of my heart. Today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my Father, my friend. And today, I thank you for extending your grace and mercy to my life. I thank you for letting me make the decision to step into your family. Now, every eye still closed today. For those of you who prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to take a step even further than that. There's a card there in front of you. Before you leave today, fill that card out. And check off the box that says, today I gave my heart to Jesus. Here's the next thing. At the conclusion of the service, there's going to be people here in the front of this church who love you and care about you. They want to talk to you about your next steps in your walk with Christ. Don't try to do the thing like, well, I can figure this out on my own. No, come and let them pray with you. Come and let them pray with you and encourage you. Here's another thing is, we have water baptism next Sunday. You need to be baptized. That's your next step in your walk with Christ. Now, here's what I want to ask you. Every eye in, the, in this room still closed. How many of you would today say, Pastor, there's been times I've been hurt. There's been things that have been stolen from me. There, there's relationships that need to be reconciled. There's healing that needs to take place in my heart. I want God to change me. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Raise it, raise it, raise it, raise it, raise it. Raise it. And I'm going to pray over you. Father, I love you for your presence here. Thank you for every person gathered here. And God, you are a God of restoration, reconciliation, rehabilitation. And I pray that you pour that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pour that out over the ones who are here today, Lord God. Heal marriages, heal hearts, heal lives. Let people humble themselves and let go of the things of the past. Everybody say, let it go. we got to learn to let it go. And God, we got to learn to give it to you. And put those things under the blood of Jesus where they can be dealt with today. And Father, I thank you that when the enemy comes to try to remind us of the past, that Father, we're going to stand our ground and rebuke him and look to your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. And I thank you, Lord God, that this is the beginning of, Not just of a great year, Lord God, but living our best life, Lord God. The life that you have for us. In Jesus' name. What's everybody say together? Can we give the Lord a good hand clap today? Awesome.